Welcome to the debut of Sunset Flip Radio, a podcast designated about the art and sport of professional wrestling. I'm your host, Thomas Lisi. Come along with me as we talk about the ups and downs of the industry, what truly happens behind the curtain, some special guests, and some personal stories of mine. Now, an overview of myself, I've been a wrestling fan for about 30 years now, and the first event that I ever watched was the 1990 Royal Rumble. So my father, he uh, he rented a video back when you can rent videos from this place called RX Place uh, here in Howell. And it was a pharmacy, but a hidden gem of it is that it had the best video section that I've ever seen if you're a wrestling fan. They had every WrestleMania till the day. They had every SummerSlam, every Survivor Series. And uh, but they also had these compilation matches from Coliseum Video. Uh, so the true old-school wrestling fans would remember Coliseum Video uh, once I brought that up. And um, some of the... I still have some of the tapes. I, yeah, tapes. Uh, to this day. But the first one that I ever watched was when my dad brought home the 1990 Royal Rumble. And, you know, I knew nothing about wrestling. I just saw, you know, these gigantic guys pushing each other and throwing each other over the top rope and body slamming, and I was instantly hooked. Um, one of the biggest reasons why I was a wrestling fan was Hulk Hogan. And um, growing up, you were either a Hogan fan or a Warrior fan or, you know, you liked the NWA of Ric Flair. Ric Flair and the NWA was more catered towards the uh, adults, in my opinion, uh, some of the older teenagers, and what Hulk Hogan was in the Ultimate Warrior, that was catered more to the younger crowd. Now, that's what Vince McMahon did that was special. Uh, he actually catered to the young crowd. So uh, when I saw Hogan come out, rip his shirt off, you know, uh, talk about saying your prayers, eating your vitamins, and having a huge title belt wrapped around his waist, I was instantly hooked. Um, I would run around my house screaming, what you going to do when Tom runs wild on you <laughs> to my parents. And I had this Hulk Hogan, like wife beater on and headband. And I would just uh, annoy my sisters and my parents about how I'm going to be the next professional wrestler and I'm going to be a future world champion. Uh, 30 years later, <laughs> um, I am not a professional wrestler. Uh, I actually work in a kitchen, which is the complete opposite, but, um, I still watch wrestling to this day. And, uh, there's times at work when I talk about wrestling and everybody looks at me like I have six heads cause they don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I follow it re uh, religiously. Um, I watch the current product of the WWE, but I, in my opinion, uh, am a historian of the WWF. Um, it truly means a lot to me and it was an amazing sight to watch, uh, these two giants, the ultimate warrior and Hulk Hogan standing in a ring at each other. And it was during a time where I didn't know what, what it meant to have two guys look at each other and the buildup and all this stuff for what is known as the ultimate challenge later on in in the year of 1990 at WrestleMania six at Skydome in Toronto, where you had, uh, the intercontinental champion at the time, the ultimate warrior, 
going up against a world heavyweight champion, Hulk Hogan. Now, Hulk Hogan's record at WrestleMania was he was undefeated. Um, he never lost at WrestleMania. Um, at the debut WrestleMania in 85, him and Mr. T beat Orndorff and uh, Piper in a tag team match. Now, now, that was special because uh, Vince McMahon brought wrestling to the limelight, but he also intertwined with Hollywood. And, you know, he rented out different theaters and uh, on closed circuit television at the time. And people sat there and watched WrestleMania. Wrestling just became instantly huge once WrestleMania was born. The fact that he can bring in Cindy Lauper, he can bring in Mr. T, he had Liberace ringing the bell. It was it was ridiculous. And at Madison Square Garden, that's where wrestling was born for the WWF at the time. And uh, Hogan was untouchable. He he just was larger than life. And in um, in eighty seven, uh, there was a new wrestler that came into the WWF, uh, known as the Dingo Warrior. Now I say Dingo Warrior because that was a name that um, that he was given before he came became the Ultimate Warrior. Now, uh, when he got the name, the Dingo Warrior, I believe it was in 86, he was uh, wrestling for World Class Championship Wrestling at the time, which is based out of Texas, and he was given the name the Dingo Warrior because some random guy in the locker room said that, oh, you look like a warrior, and there was also a claim that back at the time, the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal, which also became the Legion of Doom, uh, Road Warrior Animal said that Dingo Warrior was a recreation of his previous gimmick as being a uh, Blade Runner, and it was an, an attempt to present himself as, I guess you can say, an offspring of the Road Warriors. So the Warrior came in to the WWF in 87, and uh, he first, you know, started wrestling at house shows. Now, house shows were... They weren't shown on television, obviously. So they would just do a tour of the Spectrum. They would do a tour of uh, Mad Square Garden. They would just go up and down the East Coast, and he would start wrestling some jobbers. Um, you know, Barry Horowitz, Iron Mike Sharp, just, just some random-ass wrestlers that... Um, just to get practice before he made his television debut as the Ultimate Warrior. So they changed his name from the Dingo Warrior to the Ultimate Warrior. Now, the the name Dingo Warrior would not exist today. Uh, it's a horrible gimmick. In today's wrestling, it's all about the gimmick. And if you have a good gimmick, you have the crowd behind you, and um, you kind of have McMahon's attention, you're going to become a champion. So... Back in 87, um, he was uh, also known for his high-energy ring entrances. He would race through the ring at full speed, blowing up the ring, shaking the ropes violently up and down. And he was also known as for his uh, distinctive pattern of his face paint that he had on. He always wore different colors, uh, bright colors. Um, so when uh, he actually got his first debut on a feud uh, in 88 before WrestleMania 4 where he faced off against uh, Hercules Hernandez 
And uh, leading up to that match, um, there's a clip on YouTube of him and Hercules. He used to come in with this huge chain wrapped around his neck. Aaron was just swinging around, managed by the weasel, Bobby the Brain Heenan. And what was so special about this is uh, they had a, uh, a tug of war over the chain, and the chain snapped. And at that time, that was just the description of how strong the warrior was, how the presence of him shaking the ropes and the presence of him sprinting to the ring gave him this energy to break a chain in half. Now, when you're watching this, uh, the young age of five or six years old just instantly hooks you that, that there's this huge giant of a man that can break a metal chain in half, not knowing that the chain was fake and all this stuff. So that's what McMahon did. He brought the eyes of the young crowd into wrestling with some of these small little feats of strength. And the warrior was uh, a large part of it. So he made his debut um, on a pay-per-view of WrestleMania four, where he was victorious over Hercules at the time. And, um, a little bit after that, uh, less than a year that he debuted on uh, WWF television, at the time you had uh, the Honky Tonk Man, who was um, a famous, in some people's opinions, the greatest intercontinental champion of that time. Now, he gave himself that moniker because uh, most of his matches ended in countouts and disqualifications where he would never actually lose the belt. obviously uh, an ode to Elvis Presley. So he had this this huge bedazzled, you know, uh, zip up on. And I remember him, you know, shaking the, trying to shake the sleeves off as the Ultimate Warrior squashed him in 30 seconds. And it was a changing of the guard that uh, Ultimate Warrior was the intercontinental champion. And um, when he, when he became an Intercontinental Champion, it was kind of interesting because not many people knew who he was on television. You know, he would give these promos where he would um, just start rambling on about some random ass stuff. Like, I couldn't even tell you. He was talking about giants and gods and pillars and, you know, the demons that would be calling his name and his little warriors following him to freedom. I don't know what the hell it meant, but... It got to the point where Mean Gene Oakland would introduce him and he would run off the set because he was terrified of the guy because he would just snort and just come up with these random ass promos, which was, if you look at to this day, every promo that's on YouTube with the Warrior, the title is, look at this wrestler that's high on cocaine because uh, he probably was doing coke at the time and along with injecting himself with a shit ton of steroids. Um, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on so he's he's starting this feud with uh with rick rude now rick rude was the ladies man the early the uh first coming of uh val venus i guess you can say that's an attitude era uh throwback right there but um one of the um 
first interactions with them two is when they had this pose down at, at Royal Rumble 89. Now, um, it, it was just, they did a pose down just so the Warrior can get some uh, some support from the crowd, and they basically judged the contest. But obviously, you know, anytime you have a heel and a face in a ring together, um, at that time, you're going to have all, all the cheers are going for the face. So uh, Root attacked Warrior. I remember choking him with a steel bar because um, if you look at it, um, Warrior bent the steel bar <laughs> in half. And uh, just these random feats of strength that uh, that the Warrior would do. And for me growing up, I just I just thought shock and awe. But um, it all it all succumbed to a match at WrestleMania five where you saw um, Rick Rude pin the Warrior with help from Bobby Heenan. And, um, it was, it was just a, it, it was just a, a changing of the guard for a little bit because they wanted to promote the lat, the next, um, pay-per-view, which is SummerSlam where Warrior would come and take it back. Now, um, after becoming the Intercontinental Champion for the second time, he kind of got the, the, uh, the crowd on his side almost as much as Hogan did at the time, so... What Vince McMahon decided to do was, in 1990, um, receive a push as the next main eventer, successor to Hulk Hogan, who remained the biggest star in wrestling throughout throughout the 80s. Um, now, he would have a few confrontations with Hogan, nothing big, you know, some house show tag team matches where you know they would bump into each other as a tag team and they would just like stare at each other and you know just these small things but a big uh confrontation was the 1990 Royal Rumble now this this is near and dear to my heart because this is the first event that I ever watched um as a wrestling fan and um it was the first time that uh you see two faces two pillars of the company facing off against each other one-on-one and um after the stare down in the ring and they're crossing the ropes and all this stuff and you know for that minute and 30 seconds it was enough to have uh Vincent McMahon pull the trigger and main event Wrestlemania 6 at the Sky Dome in Toronto which was billed as the ultimate challenge now uh the ultimate challenge instantly you knew that Warrior was going to win um if you name the match after after the guy, you know that he's going to go over. And no one saw it coming, honestly. No one saw it coming because the fact that Hogan was larger than life, you know, eventually you knew that he was going to drop the belt, but no one thought that it would, that they would drop it with warrior, a face and a face. So, uh, it was a 20, 25 minute match. And for two guys that don't have large skill sets or moves as wrestlers, it was a typical, you know, stare off in the beginning, punch, punch, kick, kick, go outside. You're outside for eight seconds. You come in a couple bear hugs, couple rest holds but um at the end of the day um the the warrior pinned hogan and i cried i did (laughs) i was uh five years old and uh now i i watched the match i didn't watch it live because um 
you know, all the all the times that I watched wrestling, I used to rent it from RX Place, which is this local pharmacy here in Howell. And uh, they had a killer video section, like every wrestling video you can think of, compilations from Coliseum Video. And that's an old school throwback for real wrestling fans, Coliseum Video. But um, I didn't know that Hogan dropped the belt until like a couple months later when I watched it and I cried. And uh, I remember sitting on on the blue carpet <laughs> I had uh, in my living room. And with my dad and looking at my dad saying, I can't believe Hulk Hogan lost. And um, this is the first time that you saw a wrestler have two belts, right? So Warrior has the Intercontinental. Now he has the World Heavyweight Champion. And the way he did it, you know, like everybody has like, you know, finishers. You have the RKO, you know, you have the angle slam, the pedigree. You know, to this day, to this day, I will... I will argue with anybody that the greatest finisher of all time is a tombstone pile driver. I don't care what anyone says. Yeah, the stunner's great, but the tombstone pile driver at the time is is ridiculous finisher. It's for anyone that doesn't know it, it's basically it's a backwards pile driver. And um it was it was just a, a, a groundbreaking move so the way the the way that the warrior did beat hogan was a um was like a splash and next to hogan's leg drop it was probably the weakest finishing move that you can have and hogan he kicked out but he kicked out like at like literally after the third after the three so um and then he got up on his knees and pointed his finger to the uh, to the sky and, you know, saying, you know, why, God, why? Because, you know, you said your prayers or ate your vitamins and, you know, that was his gimmick. So um, and then, you know, tip, a typical match uh, at the end where, you know, both wrestlers look at each other. He hands the belt over and Hogan lifts his arm. They hug. And that is the successful changing of the guard. That is the changing of the guard. And um, you see Warrior standing on the turnbuckle with these two belts and the fireworks are going off and all his face paints run off. He's dripping sweat and he is now the WWF champion. Now, this is a uh, this is a time where, you know, if you want to break uh, kayfabe and talk about um, some stuff some stuff going around the world at the time. So you had the Gulf war and, um, while he was champion, you know, he had some feuds leading up from WrestleMania to the, to the Royal rumble in 91. Now, um, in 90, he was, uh, teaming up mostly in house shows. And, you know, he would, um, do some small matches here and there, but never really had a true, Contender for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. He he dropped the Intercontinental title because he couldn't have more than one belt at the time. And, you know, in my opinion, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, Mr. Perfect Kurt Heading, picked that up. But we'll save Mr. Perfect for another uh, for another episode. Now, in 91, in, in January, he uh, he faced Slaughter, Sergeant Slaughter, at, uh, at the Royal Rumble. Now, uh, Slaughter's gimmick... Besides being the original G.I. Joe, which not many people know about, and having the most expensive uh, figure, actually, um, I was watching um, Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins' um, podcast, 
figure it out on uh, YouTube, and his hand-painted action figure is worth, I believe it's like five or $6,000, which is just a ridiculous amount. I still have those figures downstairs in my basement. They're the ones that don't move, you know, like the clay or the plastic figures passed down from my, um, from my father to me. But uh, about the slaughter, whose gimmick at the time was a traitor, and uh, he... He uh, portrayed, well, he aligned himself with a, a military general, and he betrayed America, General Adnan. And this is all kayfabe because of the Gulf War that's going on. And um, he was was the most hated heel at the time, hands down, most hated heel at the time. Um, now, the reason why the warrior dropped the belt to uh, slaughter in 91 was because McMahon saw an opportunity for Hogan, who was larger than life, to represent America. And uh, because the WrestleMania 7 theme was, you know, Stars and Stripes, USA, it got to the point where Hogan's walking down the ring with a huge flag, waving it back and forth, that the uh, the theme of WrestleMania 7 was the reason why that uh, the Ultimate Warrior dropped the belt in 91. So, um, but now the reason why and how that he dropped the belt was a little... Uh, was a little confusing because you had some sensational Sherry come down, distract him. And at the time, you know, Macho King, AKA Macho Man, Randy Savage, um, didn't have much of a program going on. You know, he asked the warrior for a match, warrior turned him down. So as a, uh, as a little token of revenge, he had Sherry come down to the ring, distract warrior. Right. So, Warrior sticks his head out, and I, I always remember this. He warriors on his knees, sticks his head out of the ring, and he gets hit with the scepter, and the scepter goes flying, and these jewels go flying, and you know he's grabbing his head, and Slaughter um, pins him and wins the title, and that would just lead to a WrestleMania seven match with uh, with Randy Savage, which was uh, a career ending match. Now. Career ending matches back in the day, Roddy Piper did it at WrestleMania 3, where they would just do something else, like film a movie or something, because in his farewell match, Roddy Piper beat um, Adrian Adonis in, uh, in a one-on-one match, and uh, if you lost, you had to get your hair cut, and that was actually the birth of Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Not many people know that, that... Um, uh, the the barber's gimmick was created at that time where he came down, he helped Roddy Piper, and he cut the hair off of Adrian Adonis. So this was just a uh, little stepping stone. Even though Savage lost that match, he uh, he would come back eventually again and you know become a champion and wrestle in WCW. So it really wasn't a career any match. It was just a gimmick match that McMahon created just to get um, just to get some more views on SummerSlam. So. You know, at this time, the Undertaker, I mean, um, the Warrior, I'm sorry, you know, he was a little, he was a little confused about, about, you know, where he was in wrestling. Um, he didn't have any much programs going on and all this stuff. So what he did was he, um, he basically told McMahon to shove it, um, in 91, he uh, he wrote a letter to McMahon saying I want uh, 
I want $550,000 for a new deal, you know, or I'm not wrestling. So basically, I mean, there was gossip from wrestlers saying that he was very unprofessional to work with. He was stiff. He, uh, he wouldn't sell a lot of moves because his gimmick was to be full of energy and shake the ropes. And he only did have a small set of moves. So, um, he didn't have a good reputation with the guys from the back because no one really wanted to wrestle him or have a program with him simply because he was very unprofessional. So he also was jealous of Hogan. He definitely was jealous of Hogan because, um, Hogan was still not even as a champion. Hogan was still the biggest wrestler. So he wanted to make more than Hogan and to show Hogan that, that he can, he can carry the company. And, um, he signed the letter actually, whatever your decision is, I can, and I will live with it till then I will remain home with one who cares. So he had a, he had a large set of balls to put the ball in, uh, McMahon's court and it was different because no wrestler at the time did that you just you know Vince McMahon was was just the orchestra and he just orchestrated this this uh great company and no one actually wanted to stand up to him face to face so um what the WWF did was they actually agreed which is very shocking um, to pay him that much money uh, for uh, the next WrestleMania, which was WrestleMania 8. And uh, they gave him a higher royalty rate. And, you know, they also made the promise, which was uh, kind of odd at the time, that no one would make more money on pay-per-views than the Warrior. And, um, you know, McMahon only did that because at the time, early 92, 93, Hogan was leaving. He was leaving. He was going to Hollywood. He was uh, filming different movies, but Hogan was gone. So the only reason why that McMahon gave him that money is because he knew that his asset, you know, uh, the white whale, you know, the one that was holding up the company was gone. And, um, so McMahon, total schemer, total schemer. You know, if you watch dark side of the ring, which I do religiously, and you watch the Jimmy Snuka episode about how he killed uh, his girlfriend, Nancy Argentina, I want to say her name was, um, there was a closed meeting between McMahon, Snuka and the chief of police. And I believe it was in. Uh, what town was it? I want to say not Scranton, Pennsylvania, but it was like Harrisburg or I don't know, something like that. Someplace in Pennsylvania where, where they found Nancy Argentina dead. But, um, if you, if you watch the episode, you can, you, uh, you see that McMahon had a closed meeting and came in with a briefcase. And after the meeting was done, which was not on the record, by the way, there was no transcripts of the meeting. It was the only meeting, but Snuka and the authorities that had no transcripts that, um, McMahon, uh, had a briefcase, came in, briefcase was gone when he left. So you put the, you put the puzzle pieces together. Yeah. McMahon's a schemer. Definitely. And don't, don't get me started on the Owen Hart tragedy. The fact that you had a wrestler risk his life, fall from a ceiling, break his neck, killed in the ring 
and you continue to have a show. That's just the kind of guy that McMahon is. He he canceled WrestleMania, had it in a close set with coronavirus. Now, at the at the time of this recording, COVID-19 is still going on. So it is a dire time in this country. And the fact that you have thousands of people getting diagnosed and hundreds of people dying every day, Vince McMahon still decides to have WrestleMania. And if someone... You know, died in the ring. You know that uh, he was going to still go on with the show. So, back to the Warrior. Um, following the SummerSlam in '91, uh, McMahon wrote a letter to Warrior saying that he was suspended immediately. Um, he threatened. Now, the way that McMahon th- wrote the letter was kind of just an overview. Of everything, you threatened to stay at home. You don't want to appear at SummerSlam. Uh, he had no chance, no choice, but to uh, not go against the extreme demands that that Warrior gave uh, McMahon. Even though he first agreed to it, he took it back. You know. Um, now uh, McMahon did come out and say that the only reason why that the company agreed to his contract was to temporarily meet the demands and to ensure that the warrior would perform at SummerSlam. So, um, once he got the letter, warrior, uh, refused the suspension and he left the WWF. So you have the warrior leaving and you, you have Hogan who's on his way out. So, at this time, you have Macho Man back. He's starting a program, and then you have The Undertaker, um, who who actually beat Hogan for the title. Hogan got it back, and then he beat him again at Survivor Series with the help of Ric Flair. Now, they brought Ric Flair in at the wrong time. Now, they, they bring Ric Flair um, leading up to the 1992 Royal Rumble. And um, it was just the wrong time. Flair should have been there in late late 80s, early 90s. It was just too late for him. And at the time, you had, down in the South, you had Ric Flair, who was just basically Hulk Hogan, just down there. But but Ric Flair kind of catered to more of the uh, adults, you know, the limousines, the, the women, the stories of him drinking at the bar with Andre the Giant, 105 beers or something like that, stretch limos, Rolex robes, bedazzled everything. That was, that was Ric Flair. He was the guy that everybody wanted to be. Now, McMahon didn't really cater to that because McMahon catered more to the kids. So, um, so once, once the warrior, uh, refused the suspension, uh, the WWF actually refused, uh, the letter because he was still under contract, uh, until the next year, until 92. So the fact that Hogan's about to leave and, uh, mid 92, early 93 to film movies and to get his Hollywood career going on. Uh, McMahon's desperate. He's he's desperate. Um, there's just no one out there. He dropped the ball with Ric Flair, so he contacts the Warrior about about returning, and uh, 
he makes his comeback at WrestleMania 8, in which was billed as supposed to be this double main event. You had Sid Vicious against Hulk Hogan. You had Macho Man against Warrior. But, you know, they dropped the ball because it should have been Flair against Hogan. And uh, the best match of that card was Piper against Bret Hart for the Intercontinental title. And it was just a, a total botch of a WrestleMania. It was in Indiana. Um, the Hoosier Dome, you know, when you talk about WrestleManias, you know, ever, no one ever talks about WrestleMania 8. And uh, it's like almost as bad as WrestleMania 9. Spoiler alert, Hogan's a champion at the end. That's just, that was just another story. But uh, Warrior comes back. You know, Hogan's getting beaten down by, by Sid Vicious and Papa Shangu, which is just like a poor man's voodoo undertaker. Papa Shango, a.k.a. The Godfather, a.k.a. Kama, a.k.a. The Good Father. The guy had so many gimmicks, but he first debuted as Papa Shango, who his gimmick was, who was like a witch doctor, you know, and voodoo guy. And uh, he would cast spells on his on his opponents and, uh, you know, have his have his opponents convulse and vomit all over each other and just some weird shit. But um, so Warrior comes back, right? And um, he makes the save and saves Hogan and, you know, WrestleMania ends with them two in the ring again and shaking hands and hugging and everything. But uh, what turns out is um, this was just a push for Warrior to be booked for the next, uh, to be the next champion um, after, uh, after Macho Man. They wanted Macho Man's uh, title run to run or t- title run to end. I'm sorry, and Warrior come in and take it from him. So, um, the initial plan was again give him to run with the World Heavyweight Championship. But what happened was, at the time, this is when the whole steroid steroid issue comes into play. Now, you're you're not a stupid person. Whoever's listening to this, you knew that the Warrior was doing steroids. You knew Hogan was doing them, and you knew that McMahon was doing them. Um, McMahon was, was a puppeteer. He controlled his puppets. He gave them anything that they wanted to make them bigger, faster, stronger. Now, in 92, um, with, with the Warrior's return, it kind of coincided with the government's crackdown on steroids and wrestling and warrior did admit that he was a heavy 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 use of steroids and um the fact that he comes in at a time where the steroids are taking over the sport of professional wrestling it was just a a given that he was not going to go farther and he knew that is the end was imminent for him. So what happens is that uh, the WWF hires this, this uh, Canadian doctor, right? So he hires his doctor to monitor the new drug testing program. Now, there was no literature about the drug testing program, exactly what it is or what it does. And the steps to have these wrestlers uh, avoid taking steroids, even though you knew McMahon was going to go against it because the big guys sell the champions, the big guys. If you look at all the champions, Hogan, huge guy, Warrior, huge guy, Slaughter, yeah, he was a big guy, but 
he was just uh, just a uh, just a little placeholder. Macho Man, big guy. Was Macho Man taking roids? Probably. He was high on coke every fucking time he did a uh, <laughs> he did a um, a promo. You know, to this day, I mean, Macho Man had the greatest promos of time. Whether it was the cream of the crop, history beckons the Macho Man. You know what I mean? It was just ridiculous promos. But um, McMahon went for the big guy, and to be big, you got to take steroids. So, the WWF did hire the uh, doctor with the new drug testing program. Again, no literature on it. And um, Warrior did fail a drug test. And um, he was ultimately suspended. And uh, he came back. Once he came back, he skipped dates. And uh, he left the company. 92, gone. So this state of wrestling, 92. Hogan, gone. Warrior, gone. Um, so the, there wasn't really uh, a large name out there. You had Macho Man, you had Bret Hart. You know, you bring Razor Ramon, he comes in. You know, but he's a heel at the time, and, you know, it's kind of a lull in the WWF because you don't have a real superstar with the two juggernauts of Hogan and Warrior going away. But, um, so this leads to uh, Warrior taking some time off. Now, um, he comes back, right? Four years later, 96, no reason why to come back. Now, the funny thing is that there's a little urban legend out there that the original Ultimate Warrior was not the same Ultimate Warrior that came back at WrestleMania 8 to save Hogan. There's an urban legend that it was actually Kerry Von Erich, who was a Texas Tornado, who came into the, the WWF as being um, part of the Von Erich family, which is one of the most prominent families of all time, and became a success, successful intercontinental champion, took the belt off Mr. Perfect, but Mr. Perfect got it back. But there was an urban legend because uh, there was no push for, for Tornado at the time that Von Erich was actually the second uh, Ultimate Warrior, which is just... Um, an urban legend, which I really don't know if it's true or not, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was. So, 96 comes and, you know, um, Warrior returns to the WWF, and um, he wrestled Hunter Hearst Helmsley, which is uh, Triple H, you know, WrestleMania 12. And this is where... Um, this is where the WWF is getting desperate. Um, WrestleMania 12 was also known for becoming the uh, the first time a WWF has ever done an Iron Man match, 60-minute match where Michaels, um, Shawn Michaels became the champion over Bret Hart. But um, it was really odd to see the Warrior come back because you knew that um, he he was done. You, there was really no reason why for him to come back, and I think McMahon kind of did it just to be desperate. And um, I, it just, it just didn't work. It really just didn't work. Now, um, 
the reason why that warrior left was because um, he he missed house shows, basically. He skipped house shows. You know, there was a time where um, allegedly um, well, his father passed away. That was the reason why he missed some of the house shows, the group of death of his father. But McMahon came out and said that he hasn't seen his father in 10 years. You know, he didn't care much for him, so why would he miss some of these house shows? See, that's how that's how ruthless Vince was. Vince didn't give a shit. He didn't care. He knew if you were lying or not. Uh, so McMahon didn't take his excuse for missing house shows. And um, it was a breach of contract by McMahon. Warrior disputed it. And the Warrior also uh, disputed the fact that the WWF didn't get didn't give him a percentage of the sales because of his merchandise that he was selling. So now, so now warrior, he, uh, he does some, some, you know, some small indie shows actually wrestles back as the Dingle warrior. And then he goes to WCW. Now the WCW run in 98, um, again, WCW was at a time where Hogan, they signed Hogan, right? They signed Macho Man. They signed Roddy Piper. Basically, anybody that was in the WWF in the mid-90s went to WCW. Hacksaw Jim Duggan did. He became a U.S. champion. Just a bunch of random guys would go to WCW. And what WCW did was they threw a lot of money at uh, Warrior. And um, he actually formed the One Warrior Nation, which is the OWN, which backwards is NWO and uh, for Hulk Hogan's New World Order aka the NWO was was larger than life stable at the time because this is a time where stables weren't that big the NWO started it what did McMahon do nation domination the radicals all these different um, uh, stables at the time in the attitude area it was all because of the birth of the NWO so the uh he's in 98 right wcw so they're desperate and um he only he was only in a handful of matches right and uh he did wrestle uh hogan um at halloween havoc in 98 and it is considered to be one of the worst wrestling matches ever stayed ever staged um if you watch the match, it's it's just a it's a car crash, straight up. There's there's a scene, not a scene, but there's a part in the match where um, Hogan tried to blind the Warrior with a fireball, and it it didn't work, and it the it was a piece of flash paper that didn't ignite the right way. I don't know what the hell it was, but it didn't work. And um, it was just a, a really bad wrestling match and bad buildup. And it was culminated with one of the NWO guys hitting Warrior with the chair and uh, Hogan got the pinfall. Um, but the WCW claimed that uh, the attempts were made to save the save the save the story storyline. Through the warrior and 
Warriors. The Warriors said that the only reason that he was brought back so that Hogan can get a win over Warrior in return for the WrestleMania job from uh, eight years earlier. So the only reason why that the WCW brought Warrior back in was to make Hogan happy and for Hogan to stage his loss eight years earlier. And that was the ego of, uh, of Hogan to stage that. So now the warrior, the warrior is kind of gone, right? 1998. Um, there was a, um, a lull where you didn't hear much about him, you know, um, even though the WWE has come out and said that he was being recognized as one of the legends of the company, he would just get these accolades from the WWF, and um, they did call him one of the most recognizable wrestlers in history. But what happened was there was a, um, a DVD that was released on the ultimate warrior in which uh in 2006 that it was basically a bash on the warrior um not just his story but you know they would have the hour-long documentary with the, the, the three disc set where two discs were matches and the one disc was the uh one hour long uh you know dvd the self-destruction of the ultimate warrior and it portrayed him in a negative light. Now, I think the WWE did that on purpose because I think that was McMahon's um, payback for turning his back twice on him back in the early uh, 90s. And um, it was basically a botch fest of wrestlers saying how hard he was to work with and um, why he shouldn't have been champion and how he used the WWE just to try to get popularity in Hollywood and all this stuff. But um, he was he was uh, a bitter man in bad terms. He had bad terms with McMahon and Hogan. And, you know, Hogan even said, you know, you give him the belt... And right away, the revenue went down uh, because he took it off me. And that, that, that could be Hogan's ego. Yeah. But Hogan was telling the truth. He just wasn't a top champion. Could have been the steroids? Yes. Could have been trauma? Yes, could have been the fact that he did growth hormones to try to be bigger. Yeah, but, you know, in my opinion, I'm on the record saying I don't think the Ultimate Warrior was a great wrestler. I was never a fan. He brought nothing to the table. His matches were weak. He was just, um, he was just a personality to gain money. He, he, didn't, he didn't touch wrestling fans, true wrestling fans, as much as as Hogan did, as much as Stone Cold did, because he couldn't carry an interview. He couldn't carry himself in the ring. And um, so seven years later, I think what uh, what McMahon wanted to do 
uh, to uh, for his legacy was uh, to induct him into the Hall of Fame. So Hogan, so I'm um, sorry, Warrior gets inducted to the Hall of Fame, and um, he gives this heartfelt speech the next day on Raw, and um, he talks about in the speech. You can tell that he's that he's kind of frail. Um, you can tell that you know he's excessively sweating. You know he's he doesn't look good. And uh, the day after WrestleMania 30, while on Raw, he, he gives this this uh, this speech about how you know the Warrior legacy will always live on, and how all the fans will will respect the Ultimate Warrior and until the day he dies, and he died the next day. Um, that was a little bit hard for uh for wrestling fans because again you're either a Hogan fan or a Warrior fan and um it was hard uh he died the next day and uh he was 54 years old and during you have you have guys like Rick Rude you have guys like Mr. Perfect Big Boss Man you know, earthquake, warrior, all these guys that died too soon. And um, they died mostly of heart attacks and stress on the body. And that was a, that was a big result of the steroids that he took. And um, after the autopsy, he did die of a heart attack. But um, his legacy still does live on. His wife, Dana, is actually a, a writer for uh wwe and uh during the hall of fame from 2014 on they uh created the uh warrior award and that is for people who uh, exhibited strength and perseverance and courage and compassion that embodies the spirit of the ultimate warrior so the fact that the uh, WWF, WWE, I'm sorry, named an award for Warrior, it's it's just it's just a clusterfuck. It really is. You don't get it. The whole aura of the Ultimate Warrior was uh, was just ruined by Vince McMahon. It was so confusing. It was up and down, hot and cold. He never really embraced the character of the Warrior because. He was pulled in so many different directions by McMahon. Becoming champion, dropping the belt. Becoming intercontinental champion, dropping the belt. He was probably one of the most undecisive characters in WWF history because based on his small skill set, he really didn't have much. And he was taken advantage of. So that was the rise and fall of the Ultimate Warrior. Episode 1, the debut episode for Sunset Flip Radio. Thank you for listening. And tune on in for the next episode. We post it next week. Thank you. Signing off.